Chapter Five of the Typewriter Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Typewriter Girl by Grant Allen. Chapter Five. Vive l'anarchie! I drew a deep breath. He was the poor man's saint. His symbol has descended to the poor man's banker. Yet my confidence, after all, was not all misplaced. St. Nicholas, at a pinch, would provide my dowry. It flashed across me at a stroke what those golden balls meant. Never before had I divined their meaning, their intimate connection with my newly chosen patron. I caught at it now clearly. Nicholas, I knew, was the saint of the people, the saint of the labourer who toils for daily bread, of the fisherman who struggles with the stormy sea, of the orphan, of the slave, of the child, the captive, the prisoner, the unfortunate. No wonder, then, that his golden balls have survived as a badge of that generous profession which freely lends to all the poor who leave a pledge behind. I accepted the omen, tempest-tossed as I was. My precious typewriter might save me for the day from the present distresses. I hurried back to my attic in a street off Soho, packed it up in its case, and carried it with difficulty in my own small arms to the shrine of St. Nicholas. My errand, I grant, was new and repugnant, but necessity, like our magistrates, knows no law. I will not pretend that I passed those dubious portals without a flush of shame. Still, I passed them bravely. How much? asked the acolyte. I was inexperienced in the ritual of the sordid temple. Three pounds? I queried tentatively. He cut me short with a gesture of contempt. We could do thirty shillings. I paid twenty pounds for it, I murmured. He shrugged his shoulders. An error of judgment, I should say. Thirty shillings. Do you take it? I was anxious to escape from the squalid place. Bundles of shabby clothes and square pigeonholes daunted me. I accept, I said, gasping. He counted out the money and handed me a ticket. I fled like one followed by a roaring wild beast. No quicker flies the Aramaspian whom the griffin pursues. Nor did I pause or halt till I reached my own bower. Safe back in that stronghold, I bolted and locked the door, and washed the pollution off me in an orgy of cold water. Then the dignity of womanhood reasserted itself. I sat back in the one armchair and reflected. A freak is dear to my soul. I would pay my weekly bill before starting, carry my knapsack with me, and engage the room for another week in advance, in case the anarchist should chance to prove too anarchic for my taste. And after that, who dare call me imprudent? Tis the habit of twenty-two to burn its boats. When it takes measures for preserving them, you should give it credit for singular forethought. I had still my faithful bicycle. I rose betimes next morning, and endued myself in my cycling costume, which, like all else about me, I trust, is rational. The commissioner and I stole silently down the stairs. Before London was well awake, we had left Westminster Bridge behind us in the haze, and were off on the open road on our way towards Horsham, two palmers bent for the holy land of anarchy. How light and free I felt! 
when man first set woman on two wheels with a pair of pedals did he know i wonder that he had rent the veil of the harem in twain i doubt it but it was so a woman on a bicycle has all the world before her where to choose she can go where she will no man hindering i felt it that brisk may morning as i span down the road with a tam-o-shanter on my head and my loose hair travelling after me like a sky terrier this thought i to myself is truly my odyssey to play at being a latter-day ulysses in london among those crowded streets is like a child's game too much make-believe but mounted here on the ship of the high road scudding gaily down hill or luffing against headwinds on a steep upward slope i feel myself the heroine of a modern sea epic as i coast by narrow straits of hedge-bordered lane round some lumbering cart i steer with care betwixt headland and whirlpool siren inns hang out signs to beckon me into port piratical carts buccaneering drays skidding fast down long slopes strive to crush me as they pass like living symplegades in perils oft i yet feel the fresh wind in my teeth and see the foam of may break over hawthorn promontories troy lies behind in front of me beckons the peaceful ithaca of my anarchist settlement the road indeed was a pleasant one lying at first among suburban quarters pink with blossom at that perfect moment of the year and heavy with lilac it grew greener by degrees as it stretched out to the rising plain of surrey and then swelled up slowly into the great breaker of the chalk downs that huge wave of land rises in a long curve on the side towards london but curls over abruptly by box hill and dorking like a billow that has hardened in the act of breaking my way led me through a deep gorge that cuts the slope of this ridge at right angles beside a wandering stream as though one stroke of some great magician's wand had cleft a way for it through the barrier the ravine is bordered to the left by a cliff-like edge overgrown with juniper bushes they call it the vale of michelum spring had put on her best frock for my visit i rode at a good pace commissioner lynn toiled behind with his tongue out then we broke into the open where a steeple showed the way and through a billowy common crest after trough alternately dotted thick with holly trees across the weald of sussex a still pearly pale sky hung over the misty level despondent donkeys munched furze tops and mused pessimism trains dashed under bridges with long streamers of steam as i rode over them unabashed huge monsters of burnished brass snorting death from their throats such as would have terrified the timid achaean sailors but i took no heed of them i the braver daughter of an iron age trained to disregard dragons of that mechanical sort and to fear only those against whom st nicholas is potent i had seen one but yesterday on margaratone's panel 
the horses that passed over by my side reared and quivered at the ungainly monster but my undaunted steel palfrey himself a scion of the iron age showed no sign of weakness or if he trembled at all twas something wrong in the gearing a mile or so from horsham i diverged as directed down a cross-road to the left twas a level lane in champagne country bordered by a low hedge of close-clipped maple the fields were of leaden clay so much i saw where they were ploughed muddy and all but impassable in wet weather to meet which state of morass every cottage was approached by a small paved causeway of flags giving a singularly distinctive note to the district many such i passed each built of pale red brick each tiled with mossy tiles and each approached through a square of front garden by its town-like pavement the lanes were a maze running aimlessly hither and thither one after another as i tried it led me back by circumvolutions to a rustic clapham junction the centre of nowhere judge if i was nonplussed at one of the cottages i reined up at last and leaning from my saddle called out to a boy who was weeding the front patch can you tell me where i shall find the anarchist settlement the boy looked up taken aback it was clear that the rationality of my dress astonished him and indeed tis so rare to be rational in this world that i was not surprised at his surprise he stared at me with a frank provincial stare i am not sure that he did not design heaving half a brick at me in recognition of my originality but he contented himself with a few contumelious epithets which did not hurt me i flung him a penny this softened his heart he answered after a pause i guess you mean them furriners the american blood in me was flattered by that i guess thus my ancestors must have spoken here in sussex long ago before they went over in the mayflower to fight in due time at lexington it is a point of honour with all massachusetts folk to have gone over in the mayflower she was a sloop of a hundred and eighty tons and must have carried thousands of steerage passengers i am not sure about the tonnage but there can be no doubt as to the passengers they are probably foreigners i replied coming back to this century at any rate they are newcomers and i was told they had settled down somewhere near pinfold he waved his hand vaguely towards the quarter of the sunrise and gave me directions of complicated topography but he added after a moment for internal reflection they bain't the sort of folk for the likes o you to visit thank you i answered i am an anarchist myself and i spurred on my mount round the corner where he directed me the day which was brisk when i started had become by this time hot and windless and the sun beat mercilessly after various intricate twists and turns ill deciphered from uncertain instructions i found myself at last by the side of a pond which formed the one fixed point in my guide's geography he had called it a horse-pond it was a pretty little pool tall glossy weeds grew lush by its edge a grey-leaved willow drooped into it 
naiads lurked among the broad green discs of the water-lilies at its farther end i was glad it was so taking i accepted it as an omen of success in my wild goose chase from the first i was not without misgivings of my own wisdom in thus seeking to fraternise with unknown anarchist brethren but i knew how often fortune brings in some boats that are not steered and i took the beauty of this horse-pond as a foretaste of what i should find in the anarchist settlement an old woman with sleeves tucked up and the parboiled arms of a laundress stood near the door of a new brick cottage hard by can you tell me i called out where i can find rothenburg i omitted the mister as my cambridge friend had warned me that that harmless prefix acted on your anarchist like the picador's dart on the bulls of andalusia rottenborough the old woman answered transforming his name as is the wont of her class into something significant in her own language he's down yonder by the new glass-house and she pointed with her hand towards a deep clay field just behind her cottage i dismounted and led my bicycle gently through the mud there was no eglantine at the far end of the field under shelter of a hedge which backed it to the north i saw a slender pale-faced young man in a blue continental blouse digging a trench with a pick to whose use he was evidently but little accustomed are you rothenburg i asked in french he looked up and smiled my costume took his fancy i am he answered in the same language but with a marked alsatian accent what do you want with me comrade i am an anarchist i said simply rushing straight to the point i wish to join your community he laid down his pick and came up out of the trench i could see him better now a pallid anaemic young man with a high narrow forehead watery restless eyes thin yellow hair and twitching hands that played nervously all the time with a shadowy moustache i judged him at sight the very type of an eager-hearted ineffectual enthusiast a man born to failure as the sparks fly upward he looked me over all surprised we are a party of working men he objected at last artisans sempstresses labourers we do not desire or court the aid of the bourgeois now i can endure most things but not to be called a bourgeois i coloured a little i suppose at any rate i answered i am an ouvriere myself i have nothing to do with the bourgeoisie i have ridden down from london to link my fate with yours are you the head of this colony he flushed somewhat in turn or rather faint streaks of pink stole over that bloodless face we have no head he answered we are thorough-going anarchists equality is our aim since when do you belong to our party since i was born i retorted boldly i am anarchic by nature wherever there is a government i am always against it let me join your band and i promise disobedience he eyed me suspiciously this confession of faith seemed rather to disturb than to reassure him he paused a moment how did you hear of us casually in an eating-house in london from a cambridge economist who had been here to see you 
When he spoke of you, I thought to myself, these are the people I want. I recognize my kind. I must go and join them. Ha! He was a cooperator, a voluntary cooperator. But he had not the whole truth. If he sent you here, you may be wrong. You are perhaps a Marxian? I perceived that there was an orthodoxy and a heterodoxy of anarchism, in which case, of course, I should be on the heterodox side. You will find me sound, I said, seeking to temporize, in my uncompromisingly anarchic anarchism of anarchy. I thought I could hardly be more mutinous than that. If twas rebellion they wanted, I was honestly prepared to rebel against the rebels. He drew out a cheap gunmetal watch. It is dinner-time, he said, temporizing in return. The comrades will have assembled. Come up and discuss. We will see whether they are content to accept you as a companion. I confess I was disappointed. This seemed painfully close to a legislative assembly, at the very least to a folk moot or parish council. Did they mean to decide things by base show of hands? And if so, wherein did your anarchist differ from the ordinary coercive governmental authority? In the utopia I had framed for myself, every man, or woman, did that which was right in his own eyes, without prejudice to his equal freedom, to do that which was wrong, if he chanced to be so minded. Here I saw just a common joint-stock company, Anarchy Limited. End of chapter 5